Hello, I'm Dr. Don Reynolds, professor and poultry veterinarian at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Welcome to the Big Red Biosecurity Program for Poultry. This is Biosecurity Training Module 1. Module 1 will review those terms, definitions, and concepts important to understanding the principles of biosecurity. Let's begin by a definition of biosecurity. Realizing that biosecurity may mean different things to different peoples or groups of people, and that the definition may have changed over the years, we will use a definition for our purposes that is all-inclusive and divide the word into bio, meaning life, and security, meaning to protect. So biosecurity are those practices, operations, procedures, etc that we take an active part in protecting something of interest to us. For an example, a flock of birds or a herd of cattle, or perhaps facilities such as a livestock premise, a veterinary clinic, etc. This differs from biosafety, although very similar, that biosafety would be, again, bio meaning life, and safety mean to safeguard from harm. So it's those practices that we use to protect ourselves from harm. So examples might be a biosafety cabinet that we use in a laboratory to protect ourselves from infectious agents. Personal protective equipment, or PPE, a term you should know, is also used in biosafety. Here's an example of uh, two images. One, the top image here of a crew of people working on hazardous material, and they are using biosafety personal protective equipment, or PPE. Notice they have Tyvek suits, gloves, hard hats, face shields, respirators, etc., all to protect them from the harmful effects of the materials they're working with. Down here is another group of people that are getting ready to enter a poultry building. And you can see they also have personal protective equipment from these blue coveralls, which includes hoods that cover their heads and they are holding these uh, white plastic uh, things that are actually boots or be disposable boots as they enter in the poultry building. So these people have their personal protective equipment to protect the birds inside the building from things that they might inadvertently drag in. So biosafety, protecting ourselves, biosecurity, protecting those things of interest to us, and in our case, poultry or poultry facilities. So what are we protecting from? And why is biosecurity so important? Well, the answer is diseases. But biosecurity is our first line of defense from protecting diseases. These are preventive measures. We want to prevent exposures, prevent infections, prevent the spread of diseases. So good biosecurity programs decrease the spread of diseases and in turn decrease the losses due to mortality and morbidity, decrease the losses from economic uh, concerns, decreases the public health concerns that we have for certain diseases, it decreases the use of disease treatments and preventatives such as antibiotics, which in turn decreases antimicrobial resistance, and in some cases our decreased use of vaccines decrease the, the spread of resistant strains of uh, viruses and other agents. It also increases the health and the well-being of the flock, increases the profitability of the flock. 
and in some cases it may be required by some government programs such as USDA's National Poultry Improvement Plan. Here is an advertisement or a, um, I might say um, a press release that I took off the internet uh, this past year about McDonald's uh, increased impetus in the reducing antibiotics in chickens. Now, in order for them to do that, they need to make sure they have good, healthy chickens and biosecurity is our first line of defense. So let's talk about the components of a biosecurity program. So there are three components, the conceptual biosecurity, which is the big broad view, the overlooking view, and this is the planning and selection of a site for physical facilities and structure. Then we have the structural biosecurity, which is actually the physical facilities and the infrastructure involved, which includes the type of structure, whether it be a poultry barn and what type of poultry barn. It includes the materials that may be used in constructing of that facility, the type of equipment that we use, etc. And then there is the operational biosecurity. These are all the practices and standard operating procedures that we use to actually operate the farm. So things such as traffic management, education and training of personnel, etc. Here's a, uh, an example of a, a real life example that happened this past year in a nuclear waste site. It was a Hanford nuclear waste site located some 45 miles from Yakima, Washington. In this situation, we had the structural, <clears throat> the structural um, biosecurity uh, had a failure. You can see this is a, an underground passage where they transported these radioactive materials, and for some reason, there was a collapse in this tunnel. This led to a, a number of things that happened. Uh, certainly, their operational procedures where certain people were evacuated, other people donned their personal protective equipment and were drawn to the scene. As a consequence, there was no incident, <clears throat> there was no exposure, there was no loss of human life, or no one put in harm's way. But this is a good example how these three portions or parts of a biosecurity plan act in coordination with one another. So our conceptual plan component where we had this distance of isolation from the nearest population center, we had the structural, which in this case failed, but we had the operational, which kicked in and we had a success in, in preventing any type of exposure. So the bottom line here, if one of our components fail, the others are there to compensate. Let's talk a little bit about disease. What is disease? A definition of a disease is a particular abnormal condition, a disorder of a structure or function that affects parts or all of an organism. So common examples a broken arm, that's a structural abnormality. A head cold, we've all had head colds. Uh, these are typically virus infections. When a disease causes death, we call this mortality. When a disease causes sickness, we call this morbidity. Obviously, these are both very important in terms of our health of a flock. 
What about types of disease? Well, typically we put a very descriptive term in front of the word disease in describing or typing a disease. So common examples would be putting um, an organ or an organ system in front of the disease. We've all heard of heart disease or cardiovascular disease. We've all heard of lung disease, or respiratory diseases. Or sometimes we put the descriptor of how a disease is transmitted. Foodborne diseases, sexually transmitted diseases, congenital, hereditary, or genetic diseases, communicable, transmissible, or contagious diseases. We are typically and most commonly concerned about infectious diseases. Infectious diseases are those diseases that involve a pathogen that replicates in a host. A pathogen we also call the etiologic or causative agent of a disease. The host is the organism of interest. In our case, typically the chicken, turkey, the bird. But it could be other animals, could be humans, could be plants or other things. Typical pathogens are viruses, bacteria, internal and external parasites. Pathogens replicate and are transmitted to new hosts in infectious diseases. If this happens from in humans and person to person, we typically call that a communicable disease. In our animal world, if it goes from chicken to chicken or animal to animal, we call this a transmissible infectious disease. If it goes from animal to person, we call this a zoonotic infectious disease. And in the rare instances where it goes from people to animals, we call this reverse zoonosis or anthroponosis diseases. So examples of infectious diseases of poultry. <clears throat> in all poultry, coccidiosis, avian influenza, or Newcastle disease. Then there are certain infectious diseases that are sector specific or species specific, such as chickens. Chickens um, are susceptible to a disease called infectious bronchitis or infectious bursal disease or Marek's disease. Similarly, turkeys are, in, are susceptible to hemorrhagic enteritis and Bordetella avum. These are diseases that only occur in these, these avian species. There are also non-infectious diseases and non-infectious diseases also involve a pathogen, but these typically do not replicate in a host. So a pathogen is the etiologic causative agent, typically involves a metabolic or structural functional abnormality. So some examples of non-infectious diseases of poultry, quite commonly suffocation. Uh, in the brooder house, if we have a malfunction of a brooder, say a, a brooder uh, um, is no longer heating properly, oftentimes birds, quote, pile up to try to conserve heat and stay warm. And so doing, those in the bottom, so to speak, under the pile, typically will suffocate and die. Also, drowning is not uncommon, especially if there's a problem with the water system. Just trauma, getting caught in doors, feeders, etc. And sometimes toxicities occur. Maybe it's an error in feed formulation, or maybe there's a contamination inadvertently of the feed. A very important part or concept is the infectious dose, sometimes referred to ID. The infectious dose is the amount of a pathogen measured in number of microorganisms 
required to cause an infection in the host. So we typically characterize these by an IV50, which means an infectious dose required to infect 50% of a population. Oftentimes when we titer or measure out a virus, we use tissue culture or cell culture. And then we have what we call a TCID 50 or a tissue culture infective dose 50%. Or sometimes we use eggs to grow viruses. And again, we titer it or measure it in a egg infectious dose or EID 50. <clears throat> We use this in toxicology when we're measuring toxins. So we have an LD50, a lethal dose of 50%. So the important part is that a low infectious dose is inversely related to the virulence or the pathogenicity of the pathogen. So a low infectious dose means it takes very few organisms to cause disease, so they are highly virulent. A high infectious dose means it's a low virulence. And if you have high enough, the organism typically does not cause disease, so they might be avirulent. Now, there is an old saying that says, too much of anything is not good for you. And you might remember uh, your mother saying this when you wanted another piece of candy as a child. Well, there is some truth to that. And in high enough doses, nearly everything can be toxic, toxic or infective. Uh, a good example might be water. Obviously, we need water to survive but too much water and we drown. Another very important concept is what we call the host pathogen environment relationship. This is often seen by Venn diagrams where there are circles or triangles indicating the pathogen environment and the host. Here we have a Venn diagram within a triangle. Here we have the triangle within Venn diagrams. This is used in all types of different diseases, not only in animals and humans, but also in plants, etc. So let's talk about this. What is this host pathogen environment relationship? Well, this is a balance between the host defenses and the pathogen and the infectious disease of the, I'm sorry, the infectious disease dose of the pathogens and how the environment infects this balance between the two. Let's take a very common everyday example of washing our hands. When we get up in the morning, we start our day out, we do various things with our hands. We might make breakfast, we might drink coffee, we might uh, eat something. Typically, we eat with our hands. Uh, as we go through the day, we open doors, we shake hands with people, we use our cell phones, we typically may drive, on and on, and our hands um, end up in various places. Along the way, we pick up microorganisms. Some of these have the potential to be pathogenic and cause disease. We also pick up dirt and debris, perhaps from food, etc. And as the day wears on, our hands become dirtier and we have more we have more microorganisms. So what happens when we wash our hands? Well, a couple things happen. First of all, with good soapy water, the soap, the detergent actually inactivates many, many microorganisms such as bacteria and viruses. So one, we kill the microorganisms. Two, we rinse our hands and we quote flush them down to drain so we remove them. 
We also remove the dirt and the debris in which these uh, microorganisms harbor themselves and perhaps even grow. So what we are doing is that we are changing the environment back towards the host and we are creating a favorable environment for the host by decreasing all of this dirt and debris on our hands and decreasing the environment of the pathogen by not only ridding of the pathogen, by decreasing the environment. So we often hear, often hear the first line of defense in protecting yourselves against infectious diseases is wash your hands. Uh, this is a striking um, headline that I took out of a, another website. Your cell phone is 10 times dirtier than a toilet seat. Here's what to do about it. And it goes on to tell you that um, far dirtier than most people think, and the more germs they collect, the more germs you touch. And in fact, your own hand is the biggest culprit. So again, wash your hands. Let's talk a little bit about how diseases spread. We talk about the modes or routes of disease transmission. This is often, or this is a human, um, taken from human context, but we have the same in, in birds and animals. So it depends on the disease and the disease agent, but these are common routes. Direct contact, here you can see shaking hands or kissing. In birds, we have birds that uh, rub up against each other, peck on each other, etc. Aerosol, by air, you can see some uh, are expelled from the, actually from the respiratory system as shown here in this, this sneeze or cough. Uh, others might float around on dust particles, et cetera, that we inhale, but air and, <clears throat> air and aerosol is an important route. Indirect contact, and if the objects used here are inanimate, we call these fomites. Here you see clothing, dishes, etc. In poultry, we might have equipment, might be boots, might be feeders, might be uh, shovels, etc. that we use in the barn that we don't clean. We go from barn to barn and we spread these through fomites. Could be feed trucks, etc. Oral, foodborne or fecal, a very common way in which um, birds ingest the microorganisms. And then we have things called vectors insects and bugs. These are animate versus inanimate, which we call fomites. So vectors, we have two types, mechanical vectors. A good example would be a fly. A fly goes over, lands on something, picks up an infectious agent, for instance, salmonella, and it adheres to its legs. And it flies over and lands on something else, and the salmonella uh, the infectious agent is now deposited in a new location. So that's spreading it just by physically taking the bug from one area to another area. Then there are biological vectors, for example, mosquitoes and malaria. The mosquito feeds on a blood mill and an affected host, sucks up the um, malaria organism. The malaria organism actually replicates in the mosquito. It's part of the biological cycle. So the mosquito contributes to that, that replication cycle. Mosquito flies off, bites another individual or animal, and spreads the disease. So we have two types of vectors, mechanical and biological. A biosecurity program and plan is based on common sense. 
And typically there are nothing, there's nothing new. These principles and concepts are not new. Uh, we do put in new terminology. We do uh, utilize new technology. Here's an example of kind of evolving technology. We've all seen padlocks, uh, typical keypad locks on a barn door. So this has evolved into more weatherproof and a digital type of combination here. Here's a mechanical punch type of uh, entry system. Here we've gone to electronic. We've all seen uh, these credit card type of swipe entry um, devices on hotel rooms, et cetera. Here's one where you just touch. Here's another one where it's a fob. Now we have biometrics where you can put your hand and it'll read your fingerprints, et cetera, or retinal images. Here's another one that has uh, hooked up to your cell phone. Here's combination of both video and audio to be more secure. These are now being implemented in biosecurity programs. For instance, here's the, uh, the old technology, but very, very uh, effective of a sign, no entry, strict biosecurity in effect. Here's a more modern type of um, device, a pass card. Uh, these pass cards are actually monitored now, and wherever that pass card goes, it's tracked. So if this holder of this pass card goes into an area that may be off limits or may be um, uh, for some reason uh, undesirable for them, them to be in, maybe there are other poultry or whatever um, in that area, this pass card will actually restrict access for a period of time until, um, until that, uh, those people are deemed safe to go in. Now, a, a biosecurity program and plan, and let's come back again to our components. We talked about the conceptual, which is site selection. Uh, this is where we would place facilities, roadways, gateways, entryways, etc. Typically, we want to isolate our facilities away from traffic um, or populations. And in poultry particularly, we want to consider such things as wild waterfowl and the migration from the flyways, the crops that might uh, draw them there, and certainly ponds and waterways in which they, they may be uh, residing. Uh, sometimes it's not possible, or perhaps we're limited in our selection. So we have to rely on our other components. Structural, remember this is the types of facilities, types of rearing facilities. We have in poultry, open range versus buildings. Sometimes the open range uh, have more challenges uh, in terms of biosecurity, but it also includes building materials, the different types of equipment, et cetera. And then we have operational, which is our procedures and our practices. For instance, traffic, both vehicular and personnel. We, we can control with signage, personal protective equipment, access, uh, et cetera. And there's always the training, compliance, and documentation. Again, we can come back to this example. When one fails, the other compensates, and it takes all three, conceptual, structural, and operational. Now, let's get down to the basics. How do we keep our, quote, enemies, intruders, or in our case, pathogens away? And the old castle is a good example. Here's a cartoon. Here's an actual picture of a medieval castle. And notice we have a moat. What's the function of the moat? 
Well, the function of the moat is to deter people from getting too close to the castle. And we also have limited access here in this gateway. So we can control who comes in and comes out. We also have fortified walls around this to help us protect uh, in terms of medieval time, protect against arrows and things that might be hurled at the um, castle. So we have this moat and we have these fortified walls. In our biosecurity plan, we call the walls our lines of separation and we call the moat our perimeter buffer area. Now here's a diagram of a modern uh, schematic of a um, animal facility. And you can see this is a quote public road. People would come in, here's designated employee and visitor parking. Uh, people would enter the site here, and if they would um, uh, be allowed uh, and authorized, they could go ahead and enter the complex through the perimeter buffer area, which is this light blue area. So they go through, they would uh, put on their personal protective equipment, such as clean coveralls and footwear, and then they would be inside the complex. In order to get into a building, and notice the red outline here, these are our lines of separation, which separate the animals, in our case of the birds, from the perimeter buffer area, they would go in through an entry system. So again, this would be analogous to a moat, this would be our gateway or bridge across the moat, and these lines of separation are like our fortified walls. Notice a few other things. We have feed bins that are inside a peripheral buffer area. We have some that are outside. This is a controlled entry area, but it's not in the perimeter buffer area. We also have a dead bird collection container that borders the outside and the perimeter buffer area. So no one has to actually enter the perimeter buffer area to collect dead birds. Here is a schematic of the, what we call the Danish poultry farmers uh, entry system. Again, coming in from the outside, coming into a, an area where you can uh, take off your dirty clothes. Then there's a changing zone. Oftentimes this would have showers, so you would shower in, shower out, then you enter into a clean zone where you would don new um, clean protective personal equipment and you would enter in where the birds are. Here's an actual example of someone coming in out of the perimeter buffer area, uh, going through a boot wash here, just an extra step, and they would uh, take off their dirty clothes here and go through the entry system. Different uh, areas have different um, terms. Here's one um, that we talk about the bow the boundary line, the red, this delineates the perimeter buffer area. Then we have the yellow, which is called the barn boundary. We would call these the lines of separation. Here's a complex. Uh, this could be uh, an animal complex, production complex. This could be uh, poultry, could be swine. But a couple things. One, look at the conceptual. We have a site selection here that is very isolated. Looks like we have another complex here, but it's very a lot of room between it, very isolated, not much in terms of vehicular traffic. It looks like this is a dead end road here. Uh, we can look out here in the horizon. We don't see uh, 
uh, many waterways, we don't see population centers, etc. If we look closer at our, our facility, we see the outside fence, which delineates the outside from the perimeter buffer area. We see the facilities and these walls represent our lines of separation, and we can see these entry points, which would be the entry system. Now, infectious diseases, infectious agents, pathogens, uh, what are these things? Most of our diseases in poultry occur from infectious diseases. And most of these infectious diseases are either viruses, bacteria, or parasites. So some examples of virus, and you'll hear me all through these modules talking about avian influenza and Newcastle disease. These are the big diseases that we want to prevent and, and use biosecurity to keep them out of your operations. Bacteria, salmonella is also um, very uh, uh, important for us. Uh, e. coli, parasites, coccidia, ascaris, these are worms, very common. External parasites such as northern fowl, mites, or lice. Microorganisms can't be seen with the naked eye, so we must use some type of instrument to see them, and, and most typically a microscope. Now, viruses. Just very, very rudimentary basic knowledge about some viruses. Viruses are the smallest and simplest among microorganisms that replicate. Now, they're so small that we must use an electron microscope to see them. So, uh, only under uh, a very certain uh, exception, uh, we really can't see viruses with light microscopes. So, we need an electron microscope. Uh, we know that viruses can attach to dust particles, droplets, etc. So we need to think about that in terms of our spread of disease. There are many types of viruses and many characteristics of viruses. So they have different shapes and different sizes. Some are pathogenic and cause disease. Others aren't. And we sometimes call them high path, meaning highly pathogenic that cause disease, and low path, meaning low pathogenic or not causing disease or if they do very subtle diseases. Some have very long survival times in the environment. Some are not, some are very labile and can be inactivated. This is very important that all viruses need a living cell to replicate and reproduce. Therefore, a virus cannot replicate on itself without a bird. That's very important in terms of certain management practices like barn downtime. We know that if we do not expose the barn if there has been an infection. If we do not put birds in there right away, the longer we leave that barn unattended by birds, the more time we'll have for these viruses to inactivate themselves and die out. Organic matter such as dirt, feces, feathers, etc., protect vi viruses. And it's very important in our cleaning and disinfecting procedure to remove all dirt and organic material. Now let's talk a little bit about bacteria. Bacteria are very small, but they're larger and a little bit more complex than viruses. Uh, they can be seen with a typical light microscope. Uh, like viruses, many bacteria can attach to dust particles and droplets and can be spread through the air. There are many types of bacteria, just like there are many types of viruses. They come in many sizes and shapes. And again, some are pathogenic, so they cause disease but some are very good for us. They're healthy. We call these normal microbiota. 
And we hear more and more all the time about gut health and how good bacteria are good for us and for our birds. They do uh, have survival time for long periods in the environment. A very important feature about bacteria that distinguishes them from viruses are that bacteria can grow on their own if the conditions are right. That is, they do not need a living organism for replication. They need the right temperatures, they need the right um, substrates and media, uh, but they can grow on their own. Now notice that even though they need nice warm temperatures for good growing condition, extreme temperatures kills them or inactivates them. That's why we boil water or we boil certain things to get rid of our bacteria. Uh, baking, cooking, autoclaving, all these things with high temperatures help kill and inactivate bacteria. Bacteria need substrates, that is media. They need food for their growth. So again, it's very important in cleaning along with disinfecting to remove all of that organic material that bacteria use for growing. Bacteria can be treated with antibiotics. Now we must remember antibiotics kill bad bacteria, but they also kill good bacteria along with the bad bacteria. So we must be very, very judicious in how we use antibiotics. Also, bacteria can develop resistance to antibiotics. And this is a major concern to animal and human health antimicrobial resistance, sometimes abbreviated AMR. So good biosecurity leads to healthier birds, less disease, less antibiotics usage. You might come across something uh, now that's become very popular, NAE, which means no antibiotics ever, which is a trend now that um, poultry producers and others are using um, in terms of good management practice, good biosecurity. Parasites. Parasites are the largest and most complex of the microorganisms, and many can be seen with the naked eye, for instance, in intestinal worms. Uh, we also have external parasites, such as mites and lice. Uh, some of the life stages, such as their eggs or oocysts, are only seen with the microscope. Here we have oocysts in, uh, in this picture. Many types and characteristics of these parasites are many sizes and shapes. Some are pathogenic, others are not so pathogenic. Some survive for long periods of time in the environment. Many parasites have complicated life cycles that involve other animals and other animal species. Again, organic matter, dirt, feces, feathers, etc., protects and harbors the, the parasites or their eggs. So again, very important to remove all that dirt and organic matter when you're cleaning and disinfecting. Certain environmental conditions favor the propagation or infectivity of parasites. For instance, warm, wet litter condition often favors sporulation of coccidio, coccidiosis and makes them very infective. Parasites can be treated with drugs. However, like bacteria, parasites too re develop resistance to these drugs. I want to spend just a minute uh, talking about the National Poultry Improvement Plan, or NPIP. What is, what is the NPIP? Well, more information can be found on this website, www.poultryimprovement.org. But just very briefly, the National Poultry Improvement Plan 
was established in the 1930s to eliminate a very challenging disease to poultry and poultry operators called pylorum, also called bacillary white diarrhea. Now this, particularly, this particular disease is caused by Salmonella pylorum. Now, it was found that Salmonella pylorum is transmitted through the egg. So hens that were infected with Salmonella pylorum could infect her progeny. And so until we broke the cycle of this egg transmission, it was nearly impossible to control this disease. So it was recognized that something had to be done. So it was a cooperative partnership between the poultry industry and recognize that this is a voluntary participation in the National Poultry Improvement Plan, also involves state government and federal government and official. The goal is to apply new diagnostic technology for the improvement of poultry health and poultry products. Now, it has extended from the, the basic beginning of Salmonella pylorum, and now includes Salmonella typhoid, Salmonella enteritidis, mycoplasmas, um, MG, mycoplasma synovii, MS, mycoplasma meleagridis, MM, avian influenza, and it includes all different types of birds, commercial poultry, the layers and broiler chickens, turkeys, waterfowl, exhibition and backyard poultry, game birds. So again, it's a voluntary participation, a collaborative, cooperative partnership between the poultry industries and producers, state and federal governments, in order to improve our poultry health and poultry products. The National Poultry Improvement Plan has initiated a biosecurity program and has established 14 principles for evaluating poultry biosecurity. These principles will be addressed in these biosecurity training modules. These are referred to as the 14 biosecurity principles in standard E. The audits of the biosecurity program will be conducted by appropriate state agencies. The NPI audits will be a what we call tabletop audit, that is it will not be a site visit but it will be a questionnaire. They will be required every two years and it will require a biosecurity plans training material documentation of implementation of the National Poultry Improvement Plan biosecurity principles, corrective actions uh, if, if they were needed, biosecurity officers annual review, completeness and compliance of the National Poultry Improvement Plan biosecurity principles. We will be delving more in depth on these in upcoming modules, but I wanted to expose you to the National Poultry Improvement Plan. These are the 14 biosecurity principles of that plan. This is the end of module one. Thank you very much.